Today we conclude our six-week survey of the book of Revelation during the 50 days of Easter. We believe the resurrection of Jesus marked the birth of a whole new world, and we've been looking to the book of Revelation to understand what that really means. As we saw back in chapter 1, the book of Revelation was written in order to reveal or to unveil something. What, what does it reveal? What does the book of Revelation unveil? The obvious answer is Jesus. That's a good answer. From start to finish, Jesus is revealed as the Son of Man, the Ancient of Days, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, the conquering King of Kings, and so on. Jesus is revealed. But in these final two chapters, the emphasis has shifted. Jesus is present within the narrative, but he is no longer the focal point of the narrative. His bride has become the focal point. So the glory of Christ is still being revealed in these chapters, but his glory is being revealed through the church. We're going to be drawing a lot from the opening chapters of Genesis today, so so let me put it this way. The book of Revelation opens with a vision of the Son of Man, who is the new Adam. But the rest of the book is building toward the unveiling of the bride of Christ, who is the new Eve. And if you, if you think about it, this dynamic, this male to female, Adam to Eve, bridegroom to bride dynamic is actually reflected in the traditional wedding ceremony. Uh, the ceremony begins by revealing the bridegroom. The bridegroom stands at the front of the sanctuary, focusing all of his attention on not passing out, right? And to a degree, the bridegroom is glorious. He is glorious even as he stands there all by himself. But he would be a fool to draw attention to himself. Why? Well, because the bride has made herself ready. The bridegroom is glorious, but everyone knows that that a greater glory is waiting behind the double doors. In the words of 1 Corinthians 11, the woman is the glory of the man. A bridegroom is never more glorified than by the greater glory of the bride. And traditionally, the bride is literally veiled. The glory of the bride has to be unveiled. And so again, the book of Revelation opens with a vision of the bridegroom, but the rest of the book is building toward the unveiling of the bride. The new Adam is waiting at the altar for the new Eve. And wouldn't you know, Revelation chapter 22 takes us back to the Garden of Eden. Chapter 21 was describing a city. It was all about humans and architecture and stones and precious metals. But chapter 22 is describing a garden within that city. And so it's all about trees and rivers and fruit and leaves. Verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, keep in mind, this is a continuation of the passage from last week. This is still John's fourth vision. 
meaning this garden is a feature within the new Jerusalem. And I've been attempting to make the case that all of this is symbolic of the church, present tense, present tense. The throne of God is in the midst of the church. And as we saw last week, the church is, it has become the holy of holies. We are the throne room of God. And flowing out from the throne is a river, the river of the water of life, which fulfills a number of biblical prophecies. Zechariah 14 tells of a coming day when living water will flow out from Jerusalem to to cover the entire earth. Joel 3 tells of a coming day when a fountain will spring up from the temple to water the surrounding valley. Ezekiel 47 tells of a coming day when a river will flow out from the temple, giving life to everything and causing trees to spring up along its banks. According to these prophecies, God's people would one day be restored to their Edenic origins. God's people would one day be restored to the Garden of Eden. Back in Genesis chapter 2, a river flowed from Eden through the garden, and out to the world. From Eden, through the garden, out to the world. And the prophets are imagining something very similar, except this time, the river flows from the throne, through the city, and out to the nations. So the river of life in Revelation 22 represents divine blessing. And specifically, it represents the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Back in chapter 4, John saw a crystal sea, a crystal sea surrounding the throne of God. And now he sees a crystal river flowing from the throne of God. And so this is heavenly water sourced at the throne of God. This is a river of divine blessing. Heaven has opened the dam of divine blessing. And now there's a river flowing from it. And as a side note, this this crystal river, I think, ought to inform our understanding of baptism. The water with which we are baptized is, spiritually speaking, drawn from this river of divine blessing. Okay, back to verse 2. The tree of life is growing along the river with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So as... This river of divine blessing flows. It nourishes the tree of life on its banks. Uh, Back when Adam and Eve sinned, the tree of life was the thing that they were prohibited from accessing. God drove them out of the garden, and he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So on account of human sin, the tree of life was rendered inaccessible. But now that access has been restored. Why? Well, because Jesus has dealt with human sin. Jesus has restored us to right relationship with God. As as we will see in verse 3, the curse has been lifted. Because of Jesus, our access to the tree of life has been restored. The church of today, the church of today has been restored to the tree of life. But notice that this is not just for the church. Access to the tree of life has been restored for all the nations. 
Again, just as the river of life flowed from Eden through the garden and out to the world, so now divine blessing flows from the throne of God through the church and out to the nations. The leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. Present tense. Verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Back in Genesis chapter 3, again, the sin of Adam brought a curse upon all creation. But in Revelation 22, that curse has been rolled back. It has been lifted. In the new Jerusalem, there is no longer anything accursed. No more thorns. No more thistles. All curses are lifted. All darkness is illuminated. And God is dwelling with his people. So, to summarize, we've seen that the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flows from the throne of God through the new Jerusalem and out to the nations. We've seen that there is a tree of life in the new Jerusalem yielding fruit and leaves for the healing of the nations. And we've seen that the curse of Genesis 3 is lifted in the new Jerusalem, which means that God can once again dwell with his people. And this is all imagery taken from the Garden of Eden. The new Jerusalem is a garden city. It's a garden city. But this is not a picture of Eden restored. Actually, this is a picture of Eden glorified. This is Eden, but instead of it being God and two people bearing his image, it's God and a multitude of people bearing his image. God is dwelling in the midst of a mega city filled with people bearing his image. Had Adam and Eve never sinned, had they cultivated the earth and exercised wise and loving and righteous dominion as God desired for them, this is the city they would have built. They would have cultivated the sanctuary garden into a sanctuary city. And so here we see that the Bible does tell a cohesive and coherent story. The original conflict is resolved in the end. And the final chapters of the Bible bring everything to a fitting conclusion. Now, to reiterate, I believe this new Jerusalem is the church. This is a vision of the present age. According to Hebrews chapter 12, Christians have already come to the heavenly Jerusalem. We've already come to it. This is a picture of the church. However, I also think it's reasonable to doubt that. I do believe these things are describing the church of today. But I will be the first to admit that the church of today does not often appear to live up to this vision. Is the church really a perfectly pure city? Is the church really a beautiful bride adorned with jewels? Is the church really guiding the nations with her light? Is the church really where the nations go for healing? 
often the church appears to be the exact opposite of these things. Often the church looks more like a harlot than a bride. Often the church follows the nations into the darkness rather than leading the nations into the light. Everywhere we look, there are scandals. We are supposedly a place of perpetual light, but then we cover up sin and abuse. We prefer the darkness, all of us. Church leaders prey on the vulnerable. Church leaders compromise with shady politicians. Church leaders get rich off the bridal city. Everywhere we look, there are divisions. Ethnic division, political division, theological division, denominational division. Surely, John cannot be describing the church of today. But we can resolve this tension by remembering that John is being given a set of blueprints. These are blueprints. This is a vision of the present age, but the vision has not yet been fully realized in the present age. John has been given the blueprints, and John has given us the blueprints, and John has shown us a rendering of the final product. And so if what we see today looks like rough framing, that doesn't mean we're failing. It just means we still have work to do. Even when the church fails to live up to John's vision, John's vision stands as a measure of faithfulness. It defines what we're building toward. And and insofar as we fall short of that ideal, John's vision bears witness against us. It shows us how we need to repent, how we need to change. But even so, I think we should be careful how we speak about the church. When we speak about the church, we are speaking about the queen. And the king does not take kindly to his bride being disparaged. The church is the bride in whom he delights. The church is lovely and beautiful in his eyes. And like the woman of Proverbs 31, this loveliness and beauty, the loveliness and beauty of the bride causes the bridegroom to be praised in the city gates. Jesus is glorious, but the church is the glory of his glory. Jesus is glorious, but his glory is amplified and maximized by the unveiling of his bride. And so rather than just criticizing the church, we should be giving everything we have to beautify her, to adorn her, to prepare her for her marriage feast. God has given us everything we need to build the new Jerusalem. God has given us everything we need to be a city of light. His grace is not in short supply. He overwhelms us with it. We just need to catch this vision. We need to see what John saw. And we need to recognize that God is inviting us to join him in building it. Consider the medieval cathedrals in Europe. Maybe you've been to a few. Um, They took hundreds of years to build. Hundreds of years to build. 
Generations and generations of people contributed to their construction, and the vast majority of those who built it never got to see the final product. But they had the blueprints. And because they had the blueprints, they could spend their entire lives laboring to usher the future into the present. And the book of Revelation is calling us to something very similar, except this project is many times bigger. We are building a worldwide cathedral. And we have the blueprints. And we're being invited to spend our lives laboring to usher the future into the present. Even if what we experience in this life is only a partial fulfillment, we are invited to catch the vision and to worship faithfully and to witness boldly, and to work diligently until the new Jerusalem descends in all its glory, until the bride is unveiled in all her glory. Listen, we we do not have the luxury of simply casting John's vision into the distant future. We do not have the luxury of saying that the world is hopelessly off the rails and there's nothing we can do about it until Jesus comes back. To do that is to shirk our responsibility before God. That would be like Moses looking at the blueprints for the tabernacle and saying, man, it's going to be great when God comes to build this thing. I long for that day. No. Moses had work to do. As of today, our nation is, is not really looking to the church for guidance. The United States of America is not learning from the church how to walk by the light of the Lamb right now. And our political leaders will have to give an account for that. But listen, our immediate response should not be to blame them. Our immediate response should be to repent and to do whatever it takes to shine the light of the Lamb more brightly. The church is the garden city through which the river of life flows. The church is the place on earth where the tree of life can be found. We have in our midst all that the world needs to be healed. But we still have to become what we are. When we worship faithfully, the bride is unveiled. When we witness boldly, the nations are healed. When we work diligently, the new Jerusalem descends. With every act of Christian faithfulness, the kingdom comes. I think that is the message of the book of Revelation. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the source of all blessings. You are the enthroned one from whom all blessings flow. Jesus, we praise you for restoring us to right relationship with the Father. You are the new Adam, and it is good to be within the walls of your garden city. Holy Spirit, we praise you for, the work, for your work among the nations, and, and we ask that you would work in us ongoingly, globally, to shine the light of the Lamb more brightly. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.